This is the Mosaic Church Podcast. Mosaic Church is committed to making disciples that discover Christ, connect in Christian community, and serve others and the world. It's good to see everybody. You know, we were singing a song about House of Miracles, and if you've been part of our church long enough, you know a little bit about my story, and... uh, Long story short, I was not a good guy, all right? I was, <laughs> I was not a good guy. Uh, one girl in our ministry years and years ago heard a story, and she said, you were kind of like a jerk. And I'm like, yes. Yes, I was. Um, I went to my 40th high school reunion uh, a couple weeks ago, and I was reminded uh, of the kind of guy I used to be. And so um, this, this lady, a friend of mine, she's my age, she's 58, and um, she knew I was a minister, and uh, she cornered me at the restaurant because she needed to tell me something. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> uh, I, I chuckle about it, but it was kind of a serious moment, and she let me know uh, how much of, um, I know I'm, I'm afraid that we might have little kids here. I think they're not here upstairs. She let me know how much of a jerk I was. Um, and part of me wanted to say, well, you held on to this for 40 years. But it dawned on me at the same time that sometimes how we treat people can have a lifelong lasting effect. And I stand in front of you only by God's grace that I I believe he's changed my life, changed my uh, perspective, and hopefully uh, nobody thinks I'm a jerk today. Pray to God. But uh, so every time a pastor, if I'm at a conference, and especially if it's going back home to old days, I always pray that somebody doesn't say, you need to make things right before you take communion because usually there's a line on wanting to talk to me. So I'm sorry that's the kind of pastor you ha- uh, person I was before I knew Jesus, but I was not a good guy. And uh, so going to my high school reunion was a reminder of God's goodness, amen? And he is good. And I stand in front of you only by his good grace and that he loved me and cared for me. Now, you guys are probably wondering, what did I say? Well, let's just put it this way, and I don't mean to make light of it, but uh, for some reason, I made a comment about, uh, you know, she was a classmate of mine, of her weight, and um, I wasn't very kind. One time, there was a a very tall girl uh, in high school, and uh, I went up to her because she was wearing, at those days, uh, I... They're like cut-off culottes, I think they call them. Uh, some of you guys know what that is, right? Uh, really short pants. And I went up to her, because again, this is the kind of pastor, or kind of guy I was before I was calling the ministry. I said, hey, Sarah, what happened to your pants? Did they shrink? And you know what she did? <laughs> she leans way down. She goes, what? I said, did they shrink in the dryer? And she goes, what happened to you? Did you shrink in the dryer? <laughs> uh, not funny. <laughs> Sarah and I are lifelong friends. She's serving the Lord up, uh, up in Gainesville, Florida, but she, <laughs> never did I mess with her again. 
Love Sarah. Last week we talked, we started in the book of Philippians. And we talked immediately, if you have your Bibles, to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we talked about Paul uh, t- talking to the church, uh, sending a letter to the church in Philippi, and he calls them saints. And that's a name that, and a label that we all have. We are saints uh, that God has called us. And I use the analogy is you get to wear the team jersey. Uh, when you give your life to Jesus, you, you surrender your life to him, you get a team jersey. And that team jersey name is the Saints. And I use the analogy of our friend Michael here, who's a coach for a football team and basketball team. And I noticed on the football team, uh, there was a lot of kids that had the jersey. They, they tried out um, and they, made it, they were good enough to get the jersey. Uh, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're good enough to, to play. So I noticed quite a few kids, and they're probably sixth graders or young seventh graders who didn't get to play much. And so, uh, but they still got the jersey. And so Paul says uh, to all the saints. Now he didn't know everybody in the church in Philippi, uh, but he knows that if there are followers of Jesus, then they're labeled as saints. And so you know, I challenge us. Maybe we don't feel like saints, but uh, Paul, and I believe Jesus says that we are. Now, the challenge for us is not to live up to the jersey, to the name. Uh, so we have a new identity in Christ. So part of the reason I shared that story is that when I got the jersey, I have a new identity in Christ. I have to live up to the uniform that Christ has given me through his blood, uh, that I'm now a team member. I'm a, not only a team member, but I'm now part of his family. And so we have to live up to the name that, and the, the uniform that Jesus gives us. You know, and I shared that at one time we were dead, but now we're alive. We used to be orphaned, but now we're his children. Uh, we were once blind, but now we see. And that's what happens when you say yes and you bow your heart and your life to Jesus. And so we went on in Philippians and we talked about uh, that he thanks God that will complete the work that has begun in you in Philippians. You just have to read a little bit in chapter one and begin the work in you. The question is, what work has he begun in us? And so, um, again, I'm not trying to be crude. I don't like to be crude because I'm not trying to be cool. I'm not trying to do any of those things. But I remember another high school reunion and it happened again, this high school reunion. Not everybody knows what I do. Not everybody's on Facebook. Not everybody knows my life. Nobody, not everybody's following my life. And so one person asked me, what do you do for work? Now they only remember the Mario from high school or maybe the first few years when I stuck around, you know, come home for college. And uh, this one particular girl, she was a friend from elementary all the way. And, and uh, she asked that same question. And, I, and she goes, so what do you do? And I said, you don't know? And she goes, no, what do you do? I said, you're not going to believe it. And, she, and so I'm just trying to build it up. And, and uh, you're not going to believe it. She goes, what is it? What do you do? And I said, you're not going to believe it. And she, you know, she got fed up. And she goes, what is it? I'm a pastor of a church. And her first response was no bleeping way. Right to my face. And uh, 
<laughs> I couldn't help but laugh. I thought, like, yes. I mean, that's the power of Jesus. Because if you talk to my high school buddies, there's no way. There is no way. And again, I only share that because of what Jesus did. But he began a good work in us. And the question I have for you and me is, what work has he begun? And I shared last week that uh, just because you have worn the jersey for 40 years doesn't necessarily mean that you've allowed Jesus to work on you. I use the analogy of golfing. I've been playing golf for 40, 50 years, 40 some years. I go out to the golf course twice a year, but that does not make me a good golfer. Just because I golfed for 40 years doesn't make me a good golfer. I asked Patrick if you know, $5,000 were riding on the line and you had to choose a teammate for a golf pair, uh, he would not choose me, right? <laughs> he wouldn't. Uh, and uh, rightly so. But I could tell people I've been playing golf for 40 years. Or you could tell people I've been going to church for 40 years, but going to church doesn't equal to maturity and a very uh, mature believer in Jesus Christ. We have to work with the Holy Spirit. He's working on us to change us, to mature us. Some of my biggest challenges when I meet people who have been in the faith for a long time um, feel like, hey, as long as I've got the jersey, I'm in. But Jesus wants to continue to do that work of sanctification in your life to mature you so that you can be utilized and reach other people. Sadly, we have too many people in the church world that have put on the jersey but have no intention to grow in their faith in Christ. If Mario, the person that I got saved at age 22, didn't grow in Christ, I would not, um, I would not be here. I had the jersey on at age 22, but there were still things that God needed to work in my life. And part of that is submitting myself to his will. I've had to say it a zillion times, and I still have to say it, not my will, but your will be done. I've been married for uh, 35 years almost here. Um, and there are many times where I've wanted to have it my way or Robin has wanted to have it her way. But the only reason we are here today is because we said, not my will be done, but yours. So that's what Paul is starting in Philippians chapter one. And now we go into Philippians chapter one, verse 12. I have a good friend, and some of you, Rhea, might know him, but Ronnie Hoover. Ronnie Hoover is a campus minister. He's been doing Chi Alpha campus ministry uh, for 30-plus years. Uh, before that, he was an evangelist. He's a good friend of mine. He's uh, at the University of Arkansas. I had the privilege to be with him this past summer in Arizona, and he rolled in his wife. She was 61 years old on a wheelchair because she had been... Uh, she's suffering at that moment with breast cancer. And uh, when I looked at them and I saw them being wheeled into the conference center, I thought to myself for a moment, man, this guy has given his life to Jesus. 
He's done everything uh, to, to surrender his life. Uh, he's been a gift to the, the body of Christ and his wife has as well. And there she is in a wheelchair. Sad to say that um, a month later she passed. But one of the things, and I'll share with you in the sermon in a second, is one of the things that she was wanting to do was to make sure that uh, she finished well. So one of our biggest challenges, and I'm sure it's one of your biggest challenges, is what do we do with uh, suffering and evil in the world? And I'm not going to try to solve that big question today, but we'll try to, to tackle it from a different perspective. What happens when bad things happen to good people and you're the good person? It makes us think. It's funny, or when I say funny, I don't mean like comedic. It's interesting that when Paul was writing this letter, he was in the middle of his own crisis. He was in prison and actually in chains, which is interesting because Paul is, the apostle Paul is considered one of the most uh, uh, influential person in the New Testament outside of Christ. He was a great missionary. He was bringing the message of Jesus Christ for the first time to areas in that part of the world. He founded church in cities after city after city. This guy was a, a Christian machine. He wrote most of the New Testament. So what was his reward? He finds himself in prison. Look what it says in 2 Corinthians 11. I have been in prison. I have been flogged. Okay, this is the guy that has written most of the New Testament. Plants city, you know, churches after, city after city. I have been exposed to death again and again. Five times I received 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and day in open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, dangers from bandits, dangers from my own countrymen, danger in the country, danger at sea. I have labored and toiled and have gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and I have often gone without food, and I've been cold and naked. So now this guy's experience is he's writing in Philippians, and he's imprisoned now again. It is interesting as we look at his life and we look at this, the text, we're going to find out how his attitude, what's his attitude like while he's in prison. Now, he's writing this because they were uh, wanting to know how he was doing, how he was holding up mentally, how he was holding up emotionally, how was he holding up physically and spiritually. So now he's going to write them back. Paul's whole premise, when you read the rest of the chapter, is how good God is, even while he's in prison. He's going to talk to us. I know he's talking to the church in Philippi, but he's going to talk to us. And we're going to eavesdrop in this letter, this dialogue between Paul and his church. In verse 12, I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything has happened to me here has helped 
to spread the good news. Now, Lavella, I didn't ask you for permission, or Dave, I didn't ask your permission, but I remember you guys telling me that when Luce was in the middle of it, the nurses that would come, she was sharing the gospel. Actually, I feel like this is something she could have written. If you don't know, our dear sister Luce passed a few months ago. I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, everything that has happened to me has helped me to spread the good news. She, he didn't say that everything that's happened to me is good. He's just saying he's using the circumstance to spread the good news. For everyone here, including the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speak God's message without fear. Paul is in prison in Rome because of his faith. And when you were in prison in Rome, it wasn't like uh, anything we have here. Paul was under military guard, which meant that he was chained to another person, a guard. And usually those guards are the lowest of the food chain, who are the meanest, and, and, and so it's kind of their punishment as well. And so Paul is now uh, in punishment in chains with a, a Roman guard that's not the, the, the nice kind. I can only imagine what the Apostle Paul's Twitter feed might have looked like if there was Twitter at the time. Well, we know that he also automatically says that everyone, uh, I want you to know, my dear brothers, just that everything that has happened to me has helped to spread the good news. It was good that the guard was chained to him. Not that it was good, but it was good opportunity. He's challenging the church. Hey, listen, I'm in prison and I'm trying to find the opportunities to share the gospel. And the people that were not in prison, in a lot of ways, were kind of like, not that they were bleachers, but maybe in the stands. I told Michael I was not going to refer to him again. But I saw him coaching a game, and I was shocked, especially last year, how many parents were screaming from the sidelines up close, telling him what to do, telling the coach what to do. And Paul is saying, hey, listen, I'm, I'm on the ground level. I'm in the middle of it. And you can do this. Now, the funny thing, when you read the letter, he's not trying to uh, elicit some personal sympathy. He wasn't writing to let people know of his circumstances because the circumstances were not good. But what was good, that God was using him in his circumstances. So one of the things I ask myself and I challenge you is what should a Christian follower, how should that person respond when bad things happen? Because we know from our last sermon series that bad things happen to everybody. There's no one who is exempt from receiving the bad things of life. So what should our attitude and response be? Paul did not want to be in jail, I'm sure, but the jailer found God because Paul was in jail. 
His attitude, the Apostle Paul, wasn't necessarily about himself. It was like, what can he do for others? How can he take this really horrendous situation and bring glory to God? We live in a world where people love to lament publicly. And I want to challenge us as a church that we would take our lament and use it for God's glory. We live in a world where everybody wants to say, look at me, how poor and pitiful I am. I saw a funny video. Uh, it, wasn't, it wasn't funny funny, but uh, a guy was commenting, and it was a, um, and again, I'm just going by my perspective, so there might be different perspectives, so change me, but I think it makes the point where uh, there was a nurse, and you see her uh, falling to the ground and crying because a patient had died. But the guy that was commenting is like, how can we see this unless she took the camera, placed it at the right angle so that the whole world can see that she was lamenting? And that's kind of the world we live in, isn't it? We, we want to be in that, that focal point. And uh, the commenter was like, and again, I don't know the whole story. I'm just going by what I saw, was that is she, is she trying to elicit sympathy for herself and not the person that actually passed? It gets complicated, I know. But again, that's the kind of world we live in. But Paul isn't trying to do that. He's not trying to elicit some sort of sympathy. Our culture's goal is to make people feel sorry for us. It gives us attention. We love to, you know, culturally to seen as victims. But Paul's attitude was, it's not about me. It was like, what does God want to do through me in my circumstances? It was about what God wants to do through him than what was happening to him. And he used the circumstances to impact his jail for Jesus. One thing I've learned the hard way in my own life is that attitude makes a difference. I know it's tough. Some of us have been in situations where you've been out of work. You feel the pressure. Uh, you've had uh, miscarriages in your, in your marriage, uh, miscarriage carrying a baby. You may find yourself that, uh, you know, I know we've had people in the past that have never been able to get pregnant. Uh, like my friend who was diagnosed with breast cancer, uh, rebellious teenagers, parents who are sick, or uh, have Alzheimer's, and a lot of us are in those situations. Life is tough, and those are figuratively chains. You know, we're not in real chains, but those are like chains. But we have a choice. We have a choice. We can say, Lord, use me during these horrible chain chain-binding times. Lord, help me to find a way to bring you glory. I don't know if those nurses that were around loose came to know Christ, but they had a sample of Christ when they were around her. And I appreciate that. My friend that passed away, Dana Hoover, that was one of her biggest concerns 
the uh, pain from cancer was super painful to her. Uh, when she came to our conference, she was, she was nauseous. She could barely walk. And uh, the brief moment I had with her, because other people wanted to spend time with her, is like, I just want to make sure that those, my family, my kids, my grandkids, know that I love Jesus in the middle of this. If you ever had the chance to see her funeral, it was mind-boggling, powerful of her testimony. Not so much how much she was a mom, but how she finished as a mom and as a believer in Jesus. So Paul's gonna challenge us, challenge me. And as I'm preaching this message, I already know, I don't know if you know this, but the first person who's gonna be challenged with this message is me. That's, the, that's part of the deal of stepping up here is, okay, Mario, you're preaching to them, but I'm gonna ask you, how are you gonna be doing in this? So I don't come with, uh, like somehow I've arrived, I've mastered this. No, I'm, I'm in it with you. It's not an easy tightrope to walk on from God using me to how can I God use me in the circumstances to uh, want pity and uh, attention and anger. I'm not saying it's easy. It is a tightrope. Look what it says in, as we read on in verse four, uh, 15 in chapter 1 of Philippians. It's true that some preach Christ, so we have a group of people that are preaching Christ, out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that every, in every way, whether false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. This is an interesting passage because Paul has a certain attitude towards those who we would consider adversaries. There were some people in the faith that were not in Paul's corner. They were maybe competition. Maybe this is an opportunity for those who were not in Paul's corner to gain some sort of advantage, prominence in the church world. And so since he's in prison, they're, being they're taking advantage of that. And we don't know the details, but it, may, it sounds like they were trying to stir up trouble by discrediting him. It's interesting how Paul responds when he has adversaries inside the church. Which leads me to a challenge I have for myself is that, um, you know, on social media, on YouTube and um, avenues like that, there are a lot of critics <laughs> of the church and uh, a lot of people critical of other churches. I mean, it's, it's sad. And so it's interesting that Paul kind of deals with that. But let me just encourage us to be careful in teaching. So I appreciate um, Adam took a tough subject and did 10, 12 weeks of it and, uh, and did a phenomenal job. 
And then we've had other teachers like Eric and Micah downstairs and, of course, our, our school teachers downstairs. Uh, you guys may know this, but if you don't, when you're teaching, you're taking on a responsibility and the p- potential of being judged harshly. Second Peter says, but false prophets also rose among the people just as there will be false teachers among you who will secretly be bringing destructive heresies, uh, even denying the master who brought them. And many were, and so in other words, there were teachers that we'll see here in James, not many of you should become teachers because you know that those who teach will be judged with greater strictness. So what I'm saying is that the stuff I see on social media, teachers, you know, a lot of these guys, I, I don't know how well learned they are, but they're very good at communicating. But man, it's, we don't take it lightly because it says here that teachers will be judged with greater strictness. But at the end of the day, Paul in chapter one, verse 14 through 18, has this attitude because these people are preaching Christ and he doesn't necessarily care if they're doing it with great motives or not. What mattered to Paul was, are they promoting Christ? Because it wasn't about Paul. It wasn't about his prominence or his ego or his organizational placement. It was about Christ. And so I believe there's a challenge to us to make sure we have good attitudes. When I drive from my house from Lakeshore to Mosaic Church, I pass about eight churches, Christian churches. And I pray for each one of them because if they're preaching Christ, they're wearing the jersey. They may not be preaching it the way I'd like fully, but if they're lifting up the name of Jesus, the Jesus that we talked about that died and rose again, then I'm their fan. Because it's about Christ. It's not about me. It's not about Mosaic Church. It's amazing how much, uh, this is a quote that was found in one of the presidential office, uh, the Oval Office. It's amazing how much you can accomplish if you don't care who gets the credit. I remember one time as a youth pastor, uh, we had like, 3,000 people at, um, I don't even know what it's called anymore, but it's Marina Jack, Sarasota Bay. And we had an Easter sunrise service and I was on stage. You know, back in the day, they put pastors in chairs. Anybody remember those days? <laughs> sat, up, you know, sat up there. And there I was, you know, youth pastor, two, 3,000 people, sunrise service, you know, just staring at everybody to make sure they're staring at me. And uh, it was an outdoor service at a public park. And after the service, the pastor says to me, Mario, a lot of people use the public bathroom. It's your job to clean it. I'm like, what? I was just on stage. That's uh, beneath me. And I had a suit on. And um, I remember reluctantly getting that mop bucket and uh, mopping and making sure there was loud noises because I wanted to see if there's any stragglers. That I wanted them to see me you know, mopping, mopping the floor. 
I learned a big lesson that morning. You know, I said, Lord, I'll serve you. And here's an opportunity to serve, and I wasn't too sure. Uh, I didn't mean serving. I meant leading. When I said serving, I meant leading. It's amazing how much you can accomplish when you don't care who gets the credit. Let me move fast here. It's amazing how Paul, in his circumstances, his attitude to those who opposed him. Let me keep reading verse 19. For I know that through your prayers and help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. Eagerly I expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or death. So what Paul is saying is that I want to honor Jesus in everything that I do. That's the thing that if you, if you leave this morning, you don't remember much what I've said, just remember that no matter our circumstances, let's honor Jesus. He wanted to finish well. My friend Dana wanted to finish well. Our dear sister Luce wanted to finish well. And so this morning as I close, I've got more to say, but I believe that God has said enough for us this morning. That life is hard. That look in the audience, there's some stories that I know that you've shared with me are mind-boggling hard. And the fact that you're here um, is just a testimony of your relationship with Jesus and God's goodness in your life. And so maybe it's an encouragement that what you're doing, keep doing for God's glory. But maybe you haven't really experienced something super, super hard. I pray that, that you recognize that, man, life stinks as my friend in, um, in Montana, and I don't like to use this word, but she, I, I'm just quoting her. She said, life sucks, but God is good. And she was in a wheelchair because she was driving to go get milk and bread with her for her kids, and she got T-boned. And she's been in a wheelchair for 40 plus years. And when she made that quote, it was already 30 years into it, 20 years into it. tough, but I pray that everything we do will bring glory to Jesus. So it's not about phony smiles and fake looks and fake happiness. I remember my friend, I talked to the husband just recently, and uh, he's going through a tough time. Some days you're good, he said. Some days he doesn't want to pray. That's a minister of the gospel. I appreciate him being honest. We pray together. And so Paul is going to challenge us in Philippians as we're going to go through the whole book. Uh, we'll pick up in January. Uh, once we, next, next week we start changing into more of a Christmas uh, series. We challenge all of us to let's do all for the glory of God, no matter the circumstance. And so even when we had adversaries, bless them, encourage them,
And Paul says, you know what? I just want to bring glory to Christ. And I pray that your life brings glory to Christ. Let's close our eyes and let's pray as we finish up today. I pray, God, that you would help us as we've been blessed to put on the jerseys for those of us who say yes and bowed our knee and our hearts and our lives to Jesus. And Lord, that you are beginning to do a work in us. Lord, that we actually work with you and allowing you to work in us. Lord, that a time alone is not an indicator of maturity. But Lord, we do know it takes time to mature in our faith. So Lord, if we've been serving Jesus for six months or 40 years, I pray that there's actual maturity going on. And Paul's, the Apostle Paul is going to encourage us to do all these things, no matter the circumstances, to do it for your glory so that, not that the situations are good, but that, Lord, that you would bring good out of it. Lord, we say thank you. Lord, help me, help us to bring you glory in our circumstances. Lord, we want to reflect your goodness. Lord, help us never, ever, ever to compromise and settle for fake jewels of sympathy and uh, just immature attention. Lord, I know that I've been uh, tempted by those things. Lord, help me to use the circumstances I'm in for your glory. Be with all of us, God, as we go through very... Uh, incredible time, but sometimes it might be challenging with the holidays and, and just talking to people that lost a loved one and it's like the first holiday without a loved one. Lord, I pray, God, a blessing and peace upon them. Lord, I pray, God, that you would help us as a church to keep our eyes out for those who need, uh, need a, a love and encouragement and prayer and friendship. Lord, thank you for your goodness. Lord, thank you. You've been so good to us. You've been so good to me. Thank you for growing uh, in my life, maturing in my life, Lord, because I desperately need it. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for this awesome church body. And we pray for those who are homesick, and Lord, who are traveling. Um, so we say thank you, Lord. We love you. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen, amen. We want to thank you for listening. We pray that you were blessed and encouraged. If you like what you heard today, subscribe to this podcast and listen whenever you like. To find out more about Mosaic Church, please visit www.mosaicchurchtlh.com.